Welcome to the City Collective Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Uh, before we jump in, so we are going to be spending time in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, essentially from now until till Easter. Um, so there's a couple different series in the midst of that, but um, we will be looking verse by verse through the Gospel according to Matthew. And so uh, just to open our, our time together this morning, I'm going to be reading out of, we're going to be starting in Matthew 3. I'll explain why we're starting there. And then we'll go from there. So Matthew chapter 3, you can follow along on the screen as well. Or if you have your Bibles, you can open up with me. I'll be reading out of the NIV. And it says this. It says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey, and people went out to him from, Jeru from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Well, it's a... Uh, it's a wonderful thing to spend time in the Word together. And, and myself and the team, we're really excited about getting this series going because this, this marks the beginning of our ministry year. And, and if you're looking in your journals, you go turn to page 10, and you'll see that there's a brief write-up about what the series entails and what it's going to include over these next weeks that we're in it. Uh, and, and I hope it provides a little bit of a foundation for you of what our heart is as we kind of enter into the series. Now, we want to offer these books to you as part of your discipleship process. And like I said, Matthew uh, in of itself is going to be a discipleship manual for us. As followers of Jesus, it's not simply enough to have intellectual assent. There's an invitation for something so much more. Because to simply agree with something does not necessarily transform you. But to have it actually capture your heart inspire your actions and lead you forward it's when you see some real transformation so when we, the invitation is made to followers of Jesus to not to just like think about me it's believe in me it's follow me it's make me the center of your life there's a desire from Jesus from from God that you would discover life and life to the fullest but as we will discover it's not simply just a nice idea 
there's a real invitation of action that follows that. Now, uh, as we begin this series, uh, I want to provide a couple things that we know about the gospel according to Matthew. First of all, uh, the kind of literature that it is. Uh, we, we talk about intellectual honesty here at City Collective, that when we read the Bible, we want to have a level of intellectual honesty of how we are engaging with it. And that sometimes is asking the question, well, not sometimes, it's always asking the question, what kind of literature is being written when we're looking at the specific book. So when it comes to the gospel according to Matthew, it is a gospel. And gospel means good news. But it, it's more than that because often when we think about the gospel, we look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we consider them to have the format of, of a biography. But a biography can often simply be a reflection of fact. It, it's just a series of facts playing into a story. But the literature of that time presented it to be something more. This isn't isolated to the format in which the Gospels are provided. In that time period, there were biographical accounts provided of, of philosophers, of teachers, and of an individual by the name of Jesus that was full of the facts, but as well providing the biases and the ideas of the authors as well. It wasn't simply meant to be the facts provided, but what they believe the facts lead us towards. It's because if it was just a set of facts, I, I would have a hard time believing that it's simply just good news. The, the good news needs the compulsion, the change, the, the desire for the ideas being presented to mean something more. So the literature being presented, it's not simply a biography, it is good news. Richard Bauckham, he says that ancient biographies were often intended to impact the lives of their readers. The life of a philosopher, for example, might be intended to recommend that man's philosophy or biography might portray its subject as a shining example of a good life that readers would do well to imitate. So the fact that the Gospels were intended to evoke faith in Jesus and encourage discipleship of Jesus doesn't really make them different in style among ancient biographies, but it was making us an invitation. So the kind of literature matters. The author, we know it to be Matthew, the tax collector. He doesn't show up till chapter 9. Uh, and we see there's a transformation that takes place in his life. And then the audience that's being written to, in fact, this gospel in particular, has an audience being, that is being considered in the people of Israel. And so we'll take all these things into account when we dive into it. So you might be asking the question, why are we beginning in chapter 3? Well, chapters 1 and 2 are what you would consider large parts of the Christmas story. So we will be circling back. Uh, and when it comes to the Advent season, we will spend time in Matthew 1 and 2. But today we're starting in Matthew chapter 3. And at the beginning of Matthew chapter 3, it isn't Jesus that we see provided to us as the main character immediately, but rather an individual by the name of John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist, and Baptist, this was his title because of his role. He was out in the wilderness, he was preaching, and then he was baptizing people who would come to, come to a place of repentance and come to a place of faith. John the Baptist, and maybe you don't have those kind of titles associated with you according to your role, and maybe you don't want that either. Uh, Jason, the pastor, doesn't maybe 
roll off the tongue the same way that John the Baptist does, but that was the way that he was articulated, and there was a lot of different ways it was explained at the time, because to baptize someone wasn't simply a, a sprinkle of that idea, it was actually a plunging. It was the way that it was translated. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from the person of John when we read through this passage. So John is essentially a forerunner. So the people of Israel had not heard from a prophet for about 400 years. And the world at that time was ripe and ready. Now, John himself, I would say, would have been a tough sell to someone that maybe you're trying to bring home to mom and dad. Uh, He was a nice guy, but he was a little rough. And he wore camel skin, it says. And if you've ever felt the the coat of a, a camel, there was probably a lot of chafing that was going on for, for our friend John. And he was a Nazarite. And in the Nazarite tradition, they, they didn't cut their hair. And so he would have probably had something like dreads down his back, wrapped around his waist because he'd been growing his hair his entire life. But yet, he was in the wilderness and people were coming to him. He was that odd fellow out there, and instead of avoiding him, people were going to him. He was speaking to a people that I would say in many ways were ready for his message. Uh, The Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, I think she gives us a picture of the spirit of the age when she says, where can I find God? She's asking this question that's on the hearts of the people of Israel. Israel's saying, where can I find the Messiah? Where can I be set free from from the tyranny of Rome? When will God fulfill his covenantal promise between Abraham and David? And Jesus would come and be the fulfillment of all these promises. But there was very clearly this connection between John and Jesus. And we even see this in the way that people received John. Some people thought that John himself was the promised Messiah, while others would come to think that John was just, or Jesus was just John raised from the dead. John's authority and power and godliness drew enough attention that he had people asking if he was the Messiah, but John, he knew the truth. And when John the Baptist is asked who he was, the only thing he is willing to say is that he was a voice. One who was a a conduit. One who has no self-concern, but who had only concern for preparing Israel for the arrival of its Messiah. And I want you to see the invitation that's given to us as the reader right away. That this handbook for followers of the way of Jesus to become disciples of the way starts with the first disciple pointing the way. Look at what John points towards and see the way that we're supposed to walk forward. This is the big idea I want to engage with this morning. What can we learn from John about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus? 
what is intended for us as those who are followers of Jesus, as those who are witnesses. Paul says this. Paul says that we, not I, we, we preach Christ crucified. And essentially, to preach means to, to herald, to witness. And, and a herald is one, he, he goes to a city before a king, prepares the way and presents the king. In, in ancient Palestine, roads were simply tracks on the hard-baked earth apart from the occasional highway that was built for prestigious purposes by some king. Roads were not commonplace. For instance, Josephus, he tells us that Solomon, he built causeways of black stone to Jerusalem in order to facilitate his parades and his pilgrims to go manifest the grandeur of his riches and the government. These roads were built by the king's commands, and they were kept in order as the king required for the journey he was going to make. And then local inhabitants, they were ordered to go and prepare the king's highway for him. And this is how John saw his mission. That his preaching, his voice, his purpose was to prepare the way for the king to come. For godly rule. He was saying, behold the king. So I, I, I love this opening because Matthew, he does something so unique. Matthew, he presents John the Baptist in this really sudden fashion. In the Gospel of Luke, you get a little bit of a teaser of who John is. You, you hear about this interaction between two, two mothers-to-be, that uh, Elizabeth and Mary, they, ha they have this interaction, and Elizabeth is carrying John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, and as they interact, it actually says that he leaps in the womb. It's almost as if the Spirit of God is already at work within John the Baptist to give him the mission and purpose on his life to almost point, like, that's the way right there. Even within the womb, he had the Spirit of God so encapsulating all that he was doing that it was helping him to point to the way. Even though I'm here, I'm coming to point the way. To, to learn how to be disciples of Jesus, I think there's a purpose why we see John the Baptist because I think there's a spirit of John the Baptist that we need in our church. That we feel so encapsulated and so, so motivated and inspired and, and filled with the spirit that we can't do anything but point to the way. My, my, my life has gotten so full of the spirit of God that I can't help myself. I'm interacting with people and I'm pointing to the way. That, that I, I, I can't just keep that to myself. So with all of that in mind, I want us to look through these opening verses and consider the, the anatomy of John and how we can maybe measure ourselves up against what it means to be a true witness like he was. First of all, I want to note that John was bold. So he says at the beginning of the text, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. He's willing to speak the truth. John, he has this tremendous 
courage about him. And one of the great marks of a witness of Christ is courage, but yet I think we can agree that it feels rare. Because courage, it cannot simply be manufactured. I genuinely believe that courage is birthed out of a vision for something worth dying for. Those who are the most courageous have discovered something worth dying for. Their love for whatever it is they are living for has become more important to them than their own lives. And as witnesses to Jesus, when we look at the early church and we see the response of the people, we see the willingness of countless numbers, hundreds of thousands of individuals willing to to die and unwilling to deny their faith in Jesus. And we still see this in so many parts of the world today. This is not manufactured courage. This is courage and boldness that is birthed out of a revelation. But for us, I would say in Western Christianity, myself included, I'm not even going to the point thinking about dying for my faith. I'm thinking about not being embarrassed about my faith. I feel like we're more afraid of what someone might think about what we believe or what might say about what we believe. At the end of the day, that sort of distraction creates fear, a fear of man, and the fear of man is a snare. And when we look at John the Baptist, he was not afraid. He was courageous. And like I said earlier, based upon the things we know of him, he was also a little eccentric. Uh, Why is this a mark of a Christian life or a disciple of Jesus? Well, this man had camel's hair. Uh, It wasn't the most comfortable thing. But what the Bible is presenting is not that you stop bathing. I'm not advocating for that this morning. Uh, Bathing is a gift of the modern world. Take full advantage. But he is someone, in John the Baptist, he is someone who is utterly unaware of his personal needs because he's totally encompassed by a vision of God and a calling on his life that took supremacy over everything. We live in an age where self-absorption is the primary lean. Self-concern marks this age. And what is beautiful about John is that there is a rawness and a disconnect from the status quo. I would say that often our self-absorption negatively impacts our witness. And it's interesting that much of this lean towards self-absorption is because of this desire for popularity. But then you look at John the Baptist, and he's yelling, repent, the kingdom of heaven is here. And you're like, that's not the greatest invitation to a party. But then the next verse says, people were coming to him in the wilderness. He was not driven by a desire to serve man, but by a charisma and willingness to stand in the gap and declare the word of God with fearless authority. We should wish that our witness is so sincere that it makes Jesus attractive to those who are searching for something bigger than themselves. 
when we consider John the Baptist, I want us to ask the question, are we actually presenting Jesus as a viable option for discovering meaning in our lives? Are we presenting it not just through our words, but through the presentation of ourselves? However you think about John and his, his style at the time, there's no question that he was committed to simply being himself. He was not trying to adhere to the status quo. He was not trying to look a certain way so people would accept him and then they would hear him. He was true to himself. He was genuine and therefore the message of truth was able to be received. Far too often, we believe we need to dress up the truth in a certain look in order for it to be, see, be received. But I wholeheartedly believe that a genuine, authentic presentation of ourselves will make truth oh so sweet. Are you willing to actually be yourself? And speak the truth that you have discovered in Jesus. Maybe you're saying, well, I'm not a pastor and I'm certainly not a prophet. Well, Paul actually desires for the church that everyone has the gift of prophecy. Because prophecy isn't so much like looking into the future and naming something. Prophecy is when a person becomes so wholly given to the Holy Spirit that they become a conduit, they become like John, and they become a voice. God's full control of an individual to accomplish a mission. How incredible would it be if everyone in our church would say that they have given themselves fully to the power of the Holy Spirit upon their lives and they just want to be a voice in this desert that we live in and speaking truth so that those around us might come to know Jesus in a way that we're discovering each and every day in a more and more compelling manner. And it starts with John on repentance. It's the first thing that we see, and there's this element of repentance in the kingdom of heaven. And repentance in our modern age has, has an unsavory taste to it. Often we, we consider this idea of repentance to be associated with, with guilt and with shame, but that was never the desire of, of Christ. That was never the desire of God when it came to repentance. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But repentance is still the first call, and repentance is more than even simply the definition that we maybe see in the Greek. In the Greek, repentance means to change one's mind. But it's more than that, because in the Hebrew, the way they use the word repentance is not simply to change one's mind, but it was a full change of direction. It was my life is going in one direction and repentance is saying, I have finally heard the call that's saying, not that way, my child, my way is better. And it is a full change of direction that is, we are invited to when you hear that word repentance. And this is what John is calling the people of Israel into. You're going this way. 
But now, can you hear how God has engaged you and you can turn and move in another direction? There's a, there's a couple significant pieces, though, that are unique to John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist is not preaching to the Gentiles in this moment. He's preaching to the Jews, and this is significant. Because never before has this been really seen in Israel. The Jews knew about baptism. Uh, it was something, though, that was administered to, to outsiders. So those who would convert from another tradition or from a, a pagan faith to Judaism, they would undergo a set of three things. They would, they would have a baptism, circumcision, and then a sacrifice. And those three things were involved within the Jewish tradition for those who were coming to faith to know Yahweh. But what John was doing was dramatically different. John was going to the Jews, and he was saying to them, your Jewish heritage cannot save you. Your orthodoxy, your religious pedigree, your religious standing, the ways in which you have done things simply for the sake of doing, doing things, they will not save you. Repent. And this is interesting. Because they had never heard this before, and yet they were responding. And they still need to repent. They still need to confess. Because they think they're in, but they're not really in. They think they know who God is, but they haven't actually let God take hold of their life. This is who John is talking to. I know you are in Israel and you think that your, tra your traditions and your orthodoxy and your family line is what's going to save you, but it will not. And I hear this call for us in the church. I know you're in the church. And you pray. And maybe you read your Bible. And maybe you have some like, great lists of Christian books that you are working through. Philip Yancey is on your bookshelf. And you show up on Sundays. But you don't really know Jesus. What John the Baptist is doing is not simply calling to those who have never heard him before, or heard of Yahweh before. He's calling to the ones who hear about him all the time. And he's saying to them, do you really know him? And the way in which you know if you do is if repentance is actually your constant and consistent first step. The gospel was never intended to be for the Jews only, but it went to the Jews first. And he's saying that you need to turn your life around. If there is no heartfelt repentance, there will be no spiritual life in the kingdom of the Messiah. 
And so we repent again and and again. And do you notice in the, uh, I don't know if you caught it in the text, when he's speaking of, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he, he's, he's frustrated, like, what are you actually doing here? Does, does your life carry the fruits of repentance? That you might have all your religious traditions and pedigree in line, but is there the fruits of repentance in your life? And what are the fruits of repentance? For us today, we know the fruits of repentance to be the fruits of the Spirit because when the Spirit grabs hold of our life, we're led to repentance. And when repentance is part of it, our life begins to reflect the Spirit flowing in and through us in a powerful way. Do our lives carry the fruits of repentance? And if you can say that, yes, I see it sometimes, well, the, the reality is that we're invited to actually repent all the time. Because repentance is getting back on track. And the tendency of our human hearts is to move off of the narrow way. Because Jesus says, narrow is the way, and there are few to find it, but wide is the path of destruction. And many go by that gate. So we have to understand this, that Jesus calls us to the narrow way, and he defines that way in the most narrow way possible. He says, I am the way. So what is repentance then? Repentance is looking at our lives every single day and asking ourselves, am I walking towards Jesus? And if I am not, then I am off the narrow path and I can go back onto it by simply confessing, repenting, and returning to the kingdom of heaven that was at hand. Because when John says the repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, who is at hand? Christ. Jesus had arrived. And we want to be part of that. Sometimes we can overcomplicate things when we think of the kingdom because we think about all the ways we gain citizenship in our local communities. We have to write a test. We have to read a book. We have to fill out a form. We have to do all these things. And you know what? In the kingdom of heaven, the manner of entry, the manner of of being welcomed into the kingdom of heaven is to turn and fix our eyes on Jesus. But the way in which we turn is we repent. We change our direction. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And what John is calling the people of Israel towards, we are being called to today. That we must repent, that I need to repent, and turn around and a change of mind of Who's actually going to be God in my life? Because sin, if anything, is a rebellion against God's sovereign rule of my life. And that's what the kingdom is all about. The kingdom is all about God's rule being established as on earth as it is in heaven. And this is why the church actually is not the kingdom. The church is the witness to the kingdom. That we are in fact a kingdom outpost. That you and I, that when we say be the church, you and I are the church. Therefore, you and I are witnesses. You and I are outposts in our everyday lives declaring, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
there is more to life than you think there is. You and I, as followers of Christ, as those who want to be a disciple of Jesus, we are invited to give a glimpse to our culture, our neighbors, our our friends, and our families, a glimpse of what that future kingdom is going to look like to come. We aren't deriving authority from ourselves. We are not finding identity in ourselves. But we are like John the Baptist, allowing the word of God to define us as it points us to the living word, which is Christ himself. Repentance is essential in the Christian life. And every day, as a follower of Jesus, we are invited just to turn back to him. And to say, your kingdom come and my kingdom go. Do you see this posture of this great witness? John had every opportunity to build his own kingdom. But his life had become so encapsulated and captivated by the Spirit of God that all he can do is point to the one whose kingdom is of heaven. So if you feel as if it, is, it feels impossible for you to point, you're too distracted, there's too many different things going on, I, I feel you, I understand that feeling. Let's look at John the Baptist and see what drew him to point in that way. It was because he had had a complete and full encounter with the Spirit of God. Have you allowed the Spirit of God to grab hold of your life? If you feel like you can't point, and you don't know which direction to look, then we need to get the Spirit within us. As as I close, worship team, you can join me at the front. One of the pieces that John ends his talk with is that he, he calls them to repentance, and then he says, confession is needed as well to confess your sins and then come be baptized. There there was a rhythm to it. And we need safe places in which we are quick to confess, but the power of confession is not to give someone else the power or the authority over us. The power of confession is to release that which is hurtful within us. Confession is essential because it does a couple things. It keeps God's children humble. (laughs) It keeps us real. When we're not repentant, we're not confessing, we're not presenting our true selves, and we're not able to actually be the genuine representation of the witness that we need to be to declare who God is in this world. We hide our brokenness from one another in, in shame, and that's nothing to do with what repentance is. When we, when we confess, not only does it heal us, but it helps, keeps us humble, and it prevents us from elevating to a false level of superiority, like those Pharisees and Sadducees had, that had become gatekeepers in their community. They couldn't even hear the word repentance. But repentance is the inescapable beginning of discipleship. It is Jesus' way that John is preparing for And his way was the obsessive center of John's life. Would that be ours? 
So my question for you to, to consider this morning and hopefully think about this week. Does my life announce the good news of Jesus? Who holds the lordship of my heart? Am I genuine in my life? Have I found a rhythm of daily repentance? Am I needing a new baptism? Do I really know Jesus? When we really know Jesus, I truly believe that our life can do nothing but announce him. We're invited to be John, living that life wholeheartedly, giving ourselves completely. So my my hope for us this morning is that we would that we would hear the invitation. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn around and look to the king. Overwhelmed, turn around and look to the king. Beaten up by life, turn around and look to the king. If that's the first step that we can take as a church, I truly believe we are going to encounter the spirit this morning. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the beginning of this this pilgrimage through the Gospel of Matthew. Thank you for for the first, first guide for us to look at. And I pray that this morning we would become a people who announce who you are, not just in our words, or in our actions, but in in the lives that we live, in who you form us to be. Where we have gone to the wide path, I pray that we would see it for what it is, repent and turn back to the way, to your way. Thank you that in these moments of, of repentance and confession, what we are met with is not shame and guilt and condemnation, but peace and healing. So I pray this morning that we would be a people of courage, that we would discover something that we so love that courage would come bursting out of us and that we would boldly speak truth of where we are and who you are and discover forgiveness and your grace and your love waiting for us to make us new. And every day when we fall short, give us the courage to repent again, to confess again, and to receive your forgiveness all over again. Lead us down your path to those still waters that restore our soul. We pray for a house of healing this morning. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. Your kingdom come, your will be done. In Jesus' name I pray.
Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.